Please join me in prayer. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come as the wind and cleanse. Come as the fire and burn. Convert and consecrate our lives for our great good and for your greater glory, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For 10 years, Edwin Moses was the greatest 400-meter hurdler in the world. He may have been the greatest 400-meter hurdler in history. He won the gold medal, some of you may remember, in 1976 in Montreal. And for over a decade, he never lost a race. A hundred straight first-place finishes. He was fast, no doubt about it, but rarely was he the fastest runner on the field. His strength was in anticipating, approaching, and overcoming obstacles in his way, that is, the hurdles themselves. His ability to focus and keep steady stride and clear the hurdles staggered throughout the lap is what made him a champion. Superbly disciplined athlete, he learned as a young boy that he was fast, but he also learned he was not the fastest. But that he could make his mark by overcoming obstacles. In fact, using them to his advantage. Obstacles, of course, are a part of life. And they're a part of our life with Jesus Christ. They're a part of the Christian journey. Sometimes the obstacles are because of our foolish choices, mistakes we've made. Sometimes they're placed there by our spiritual enemy. Indeed, those people being confirmed today will reaffirm their renunciation of evil, which is a threefold renunciation, Satan and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God, all the powers of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God, and the sinful desires of, of our own hearts which lead us astray. And so while sometimes the obstacles that are in our path are there because we've made wrong choices and mistakes, Sometimes it is Satan who puts the obstacles before us. Sometimes it is the world that puts the obstacles before us. And sometimes God himself puts the obstacles there before us. When I say obstacles, I, I mean things like financial loss, disappointments in our careers, personal goals, Failures that we do not achieve. Relationships that go sour. Conflicts in the midst of our daily lives. We have an argument with those with whom we will work or even live with. And, and then we lose our love. Painful disputes, accusations, bitter words are said. And we wake the next morning like a boxer awakening from... 15-round prize fight, only to 
to draw, drag ourselves out of bed and wonder what happened, how did it happen? Why couldn't we stop it? We ask the question of so many of life's setbacks and problems. You're not going to make it through your life with Christ without obstacles that will come your way. And sometimes we ask God why he puts some of these things before us. What's his ultimate purpose? You know, we seek happiness and he desires our holiness. We want security and he wants sanctification. We want the good life and he wants goodness for us. We want days of leisure and he wants a disposition of love. We want to succeed and he wants our salvation. And if we forget these purposes, we misread his actions. We are tempted to evaluate God's love for us and blessing on our lives by the amount of money we have, the security we have, even the fun that he gives us. Like a foolish daughter who thinks that her mother doesn't love her if she doesn't let her go to a party where there's going to be drinking drugs and unwholesome activities, that will clearly take place, she then begins to complain, Mom, don't you love me? The very fact that Mom does love her and does not encourage her to go to the event is, is the very example that, God, that Mom does love her. And it is the same as we go through life as adults with our relationship with God. Sometimes we don't understand God's purposes. That's why in this morning's reading that Bill read for us, the apostle says, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The old King James Version, some of you may remember, says, the Lord chasteneth those whom he loves. Our translation said, chastises. What does this mean for you and for me to say that God disciplines us, chastens us because he loves us? The word discipline or chastens and its cognate is used nine times in seven verses in this text that we have before us. He chastens us. He disciplines us. He trains us. He educates us. It means that he brings about or allows certain obstacles, hurdles, difficulties, setbacks, conflicts, failures as means to train and teach and shape our lives. It isn't that everything happens, happens to us because God's disciplining us. No, sometimes, as I said, they happen because we've made wrong choices or sometimes other people have made wrong choices. No, where the Bible teaches us isn't that every sickness comes our way because God is chastening us. God forbid that we would hold that sort of position. But we are to try to understand what it is that God is doing in our trial in our conflicts, in our doubts, and in our trouble, struggles. More than one parent has wasted hard-earned money on a son's poor effort at college education. And more than one Christian has wasted God's purposes in bringing obstacles and conflicts and difficulties into our lives because he has chafed at the chastening that God had in store. Don't let that take place 
with God's efforts and disciplining and training you, if you are his child, he's going to do it. He's going to chasten you, discipline you. One difficult aspect of God's discipline is he doesn't always impose the, the same restraints on each of us. If you've raised more than one child or grew up among several siblings, you've noticed a trait about children, and that is they watch how each child in the family is being treated, and they want to make sure that everyone gets the same amount of everything. But the reality is, God is too wise a parent to give us all the same thing because we don't all need the same thing. There is, in a way, a unique path he has for us. Well, you will remember that day shortly after Jesus' resurrection. The disciples had gone up to Galilee where Jesus said he would meet them. And Peter grew restless when Jesus didn't show up right away. And he said to John and Nathaniel and the other two disciples, James and John, who were there with him, I'm going fishing. And out they went in a boat and they fished all night, you remember, and caught nothing. And as the Morning sun was rising above the east hills, above the Sea of Galilee, and shone a saber of light across the waters. A man stood in the midst of the morning on the shoreline and said to them through the morning mist, My children, have you caught anything? And with empty nets and boats fishless and hands raw from pulling in the hemp all night, they said that thing which most fishermen have a hard time saying, no. You know, most fishermen will say, well, I've seen a few rise. I think I had one on the line, but he got away. But they just said, no. And the man on the shoreline said, cast the net on the other side side of the boat, and you'll get a catch, of course, and pulling in the, the hemp of the nets and felt the heaviness in it, uh, John, with laser-like precision, said, it's the Lord. Peter put on his robe and jumped in the water, swam to shore, and then Jesus took him out for a little discipline, you remember. Peter, uh, do you love me more than these? Three times he asked the question bringing Jesus, Peter back to the need to be restored from his threefold denial. And then after that, you remember, Jesus said, Peter, the time when you were young, you girded yourself and you chose where you wanted to go, but when you grow old, another will take hold of you and take you to a place you do not choose. The discipline, the obstacle. The problem, right there, Jesus is stating it. And like a young child, seeing the discipline that's coming his way, he turns and looks at John and says, what about him? And Jesus said, yours is not to worry about how I'm going to discipline him. His life will unfold differently than yours. 
There's a solemn and holy moment here for Peter. I've seen it happen more than once. Two young men graduate from seminary at the same time. One dedicated, the other dedicated, one with great ability and intelligence, so with the other one. One goes to a city parish and seems to blossom for years there in the hubbub and, and excitement of parish life, and the other to a small rural parish where he pours his heart out to a small group of people. No difference in ability. No difference in competence. But sometimes the one may chafe and wonder why God chose this path for him and not that path. And things struggle. Two people get married at the same time and one discovers a spouse who is just always there, always loving, always caring, and the other discovers once he begins to, or she begins to unwrap the gift that he or she pledged himself to, oh, this is going to be tougher than I thought. Life is like that, isn't it? And our life with God is like that. I could tell you story after story after story of the way God takes a person down a path that they thought was going to be different than it was. But when all is said and done, John had his crucible, exiled on an island in Patmos, and Peter had his crucible, crucified upside down, you know the way the hymn goes, young John who trimmed the flapping sails, homeless in Patmos died. Peter who hauled the teeming nets, head down was crucified. The peace of God, it is no peace, but strife closed in the sod. Yet brothers pray for but one thing, the marvelous peace of God. When some years ago the Lord brought me back to my hometown of Bakersfield, California, and I became rector of my home parish of St. Paul's that sent me off to seminary on more than one occasion. I asked myself, Lord, why in the, the world did you bring me here? And then when my father was nearing death and I had the, the joy of baptizing him, I said, Lord, thank you for such a blessing. He had come to faith. I had got to pour the water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit over his head. But there was another reason that I soon began to understand what God had brought me there for. He brought me there for a second chance. No, not just a second chance. Maybe it was a third or fourth or fifth chance to learn how to be a father, to learn how to love my children, to say, Mark, let's, let's try this again. Now, now put your arm around your daughter and tell her you love her. Now let's, let's give this a chance. Let's try this again, for I'm disciplining you 
I've brought you here with all your family around you so that you can try this whole task once again of, of being a father. Well, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm more concerned about being a rector of a parish. And, and, and God says, you know, life, Mark, is a bit more than the ministry. <laughs> life is a bit more than your vocation. Life is a bit more than one's career. He chasteneth us for our good. What he was trying to get me to learn is that the church is more than the parish and the parish more than the rector and the rector more than a priest and the son more than a son and a father more than a father. But let's try to do this stuff a little bit better than we've been getting it done and a grandfather more than a grandfather. And yet, we need to be all these things, somehow or another, balance this task of living. And so he puts us into these circumstances where we get a second chance, a third chance, a, a fourth chance at trying this whole task of, of life. What is it that he's trying to get you to learn? at this stage, at the obstacles that are before you? How's he chastening you in love? Do not despise the discipline. Do not give up. Do not resent his yoke that he puts upon you, but rather ask, okay, Lord, I'm in this with you now. What, what is it? How are we to learn? What am I together for God's sake reckoning? sake, recognize what he's up to and cooperate. Maybe he's correcting some fault. Maybe he's nurturing the fruit of his spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, humility, meekness, patience. Uh, I can't tell you, but, but maybe he wants you to be a bit more heavenly minded. Life is such a short time. A short time for him to prepare us for eternity. Hurdles, obstacles, discipline is a part of what he uses to make us champions for God. You see, Edwin Moses, he wasn't the fastest on the field. He was just the best at getting over the hurdles and getting to the finish line. So you may not be the, the fastest in the field of life, but you learn to overcome hurdles and to use them for your good, and you'll get to where God wants you to be, for he disciplines those whom he loves. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this uh, word this morning that has been written for our learning. And since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, grant us, Lord, to lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and grant us the grace to run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, recognizing that he indeed disciplines us. 
and treats us as his children. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.